Welcome back to Adventures in Bad Parenting and Other Weird Stories. T- today, we're going to do fun with anxiety. I think people, like maybe if they work for Disney or something, think that childhood is this beautiful, fun, carefree time. And maybe for some people, but other than some really good moments and some good things that happened when I was a kid, I don't think I'd ever want to be a child or a teenager again. I found it to be an angsty, nervous, worrisome time where you don't have a lot of control over your life. So I thought today we'd just do a deep dive and I'd tell you all the things that were indicative of a very nervous child that are also kind of funny. Okay, chapter one, Batman. As a little kid, especially as I got older, I had trouble really relating to Ninja Turtles and Batman and all of that. Like I saw other kids playing with them, so I thought that's what I was supposed to do. For my birthday, I had all these Batman figures and a Batmobile. And I remember like a pink Joker. I think he was the one where if you stuck his face in cold water, it changed color. Anyway, I had those things on the toy shelf. And uh, the one way I did interact with them was before I went to bed at night, I would walk up to the the Batman, the Joker, I think there was another figure in the car, and close my eyes and jiggle them around, like move them into kind of different positions, but have my eyes closed the whole time so I couldn't see what was going on. And then I would look away uh, from the figures, the Batman, the Joker, and walk away without looking at them, and then I'd get into bed and go to sleep. The reason why I did this was just in case, just in case Batman and Joker uh, got up in the middle of the night to do Batman Joker stuff, I jiggled them around so they wouldn't have to have the anxiety and nervousness of having to get back into the same position. If you remember in Toy Story, like I think they kind of have to flop down when someone comes into the room so that people don't know the toys are alive. I hadn't seen Toy Story yet. The thing didn't come out till I think it was like in high school. I was ahead of the curve, apparently, in thinking that, well... You know, they're going to worry and they're going to feel nervous all night and they won't have fun Batman Joker times if they're worried about, man, what position was I in and and how do I get back into it so that kid doesn't know we're really alive. Me, no, no, I got proactive and and did that for my creatures because apparently I didn't know how to play with them like a normal child. I was like 10 at the time that this was going on. By the way, I wasn't exactly a little, little kid, though I wish I could say that I was. We had a cat. No, we had two cats. We had a dog. I didn't do anything for them. I didn't help them. My that eventually, after we lost interest, fell on my dad to, you know, feed and take care of the animals. But those plastic figurines, which I'm pretty sure never did come to life, um, they got the royal treatment at my house. All right, next chapter: school buses catch fire. When I was a kid, my mom gave me a ride to school. Like I didn't normally have to ride on school buses, but for some weird reason. Uh, for years, when I was a little kid, they used to make us go for a big assembly and they would show us videos of what to do if you were in an accident on a school bus. Like it would show, you know, they'd show you where all the exits were. They would show you you could kick out windows, which as a kid, that seems exciting. And, you know, I didn't understand that that was just policy and it's a good idea to let people know where the exits are. And I thought the reason why they were telling us all this crap was because school buses were basically just flying yellow death machines that crashed more than most vehicles, apparently. For some reason, adults like to put their children on these very, very dangerous, you know, contraptions that you ride to school on. And they're just riddled with, I guess, a bad safety record. So I was terrified of getting on school buses. And I remember the first time I had to get on one, I think we were going to a field trip or something, because like I said, normally my mom gave me a ride, but um, there was another class also getting onto a school bus, and there's a kid who probably had like some cognitive 
or emotional issues looking back on it. But I didn't know at the time he was just bigger than me and they were trying to get him onto a school bus and he was throwing a fit. He was screaming and crying and that just intensified the whole thing of, oh my gosh, that kid's on the same page as me. He knows what's up. We get on this bus, we're going to die. It didn't really occur to me um, later on that they were just teaching us how to be safe on buses and uh, that they're not especially prone to causing death or injury. Next chapter, Blast Off. When I was really little, I went to this private preschool. I remember, for some reason, they got really into space. I, I guess that's just what they'd like to teach kids about, you know, instead of like, oh, here's a checkbook or whatever. It's like, no, here are planets a million miles away you're never going to go to. But that was that was something they were really into. And But what happened is we were going to go on a space mission. This is what they told us. And so they had us make space helmets out of, like, paper bags or something. And I think there were other, like, accoutrements we got to make that we would need in space. And then they took a bunch of, like, gravel rocks, like the kind, you know, they put around trees. And they spray-painted them either, like, silver or gold. It was probably silver. And said, oh, these are moon rocks. You're going to find things like this on your space mission. And then they showed us a video of an actual space mission. And it was the kind where instead of the spaceship landing on the runway, it was an old enough one where, like, a capsule breaks off, like Neil Armstrong or whatever. And it, you know, lands in the ocean and it showed like the, that space capsule very deep under the water and it scared the crap out of me because now they're like, okay, everybody line up, get your jackets, get your space helmets. We're going to go on a space mission. I was terrified. I did not want to go crashing into the water and I didn't know how to swim and I did not want to be way down there. And another thing about being afraid is when you're the only one that's afraid of something, it's very alienating because all the other little boys were stoked. They, they were like, we're going to blast off. And they were like making rockets out of their hands and going up into the air. And I'm just like, crap, I can't swim. This is not going to end well. I was like sick to my stomach, nervous. And, you know, I didn't want to tell anyone I couldn't swim. And they lead us out the door, and I'm like, crap, they're probably... I, I don't know, as a kid, if I thought they were going to put us in a van and take us to L.A., where everything happened, and put us on a rocket. But I was not about this. But in, what we ended up doing was just wandering around the parking lot, and the teachers had hidden those space rocks, like, in the planters and crap. And our job was to collect them. I don't know when I finally came off that, like, when I calmed down and was like, oh, oh, we're not going to have to go under the water very deep or at all in a space capsule and i don't see a spaceship or space capsule anywhere i think we went in and had that like ice cream that you eat with a little wooden stick so you know for a paranoid little boy that wasn't the worst day Alrighty, next chapter i hate theme parks my dad's last duty station was south of los angeles my mom, I remember one summer, was like, man, we got to take advantage of living in Southern California. And so she wanted to hit up all these amusement parks. And my brother was on board. Everyone was excited except me. Because if you're a nervous, anxious kid, you don't really like being crowded around people. You are scared of all the performers, you know, that come out. There's like dancing bears and then cowboys that shoot cap guns. These are not people you can trust. And then, to make matters worse, were the rides. I I swear, every time I got dragged onto a ride screaming and crying, I was sure it was going to fall apart and I was going to end up on the news. Which, as a kid, I, I loved the news. I was scared of it, but boy, I watched the ever-living crap out of the news and Unsolved Mysteries and every other thing designed to scare people on TV. So, I mean, of course you're going to be a statistic. And I, I didn't understand that the freeway to get to Knott's Berry Farm was more dangerous. Anyway, my mom bought the tickets 
and she was taking me by the hand to get into the park, you know, and I see the tickets fall from her hand and she keeps walking and the tickets are still on the ground on the concrete. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, she's going to lose the tickets. We can't get in. And I don't have to go in that. The happiest place on earth, I, I'm going to be home and if watching Three's Company, and I will have my own magic kingdom at the house. And she keeps walking, and I kind of look back at the tickets, and I'm like, yeah, just stay there. Yeah, okay. And then this woman, this good Samaritan, is like, excuse me, excuse me. And she picked up the tickets, and I was like, crap. And I swear, I think I gave her the stink eye, and she handed the tickets to my mom. Just not a park worker or anything, just a nice lady. And thanks to her, I had to, you know, be on a train that got robbed. I think that was at Knott's Berry Farm. And everyone on the train saw me cry because I was pretty sure this wasn't real. But just the same, I thought I would cry to make sure in case it was, you know, somehow that would help. All right, next chapter, Satan. When I was a kid, my dad, someone from church gave him this VHS cassette, then told him to watch it. So he brought it home and watched it in this very odd, very paranoid, and if I think you're paranoid, you're pretty paranoid, weird guy spent like 90 minutes talking about how music could be a tool of the devil. This guy went on and on about, you know, how Satan can be in music and can be, I don't even really know what his point was. It was something about how I guess you could make people do bad things if they listened to music that was satanic. The problem was he didn't really clarify anything. I was just, you know, convinced at that point that if I heard music that wasn't like a nursery rhyme or a hymn, it probably had the devil hiding uh, somewhere in its lyrics and that I would end up like doing drugs and murdering people. And so, you know, with that healthy perspective on life, I remember the thing I loved as a kid was watching the Mickey Mouse Club and it was on Disney, you know, after school, I'd come home and watch that and they would have skits and stuff and, and parodies. And I always thought that was funny. But then usually it's really common that they would end it with a musical number. And I remember like sometimes muting it or like turning it off then because whatever they were singing, it was probably bad. And I didn't want to end up like, you know, in the Hell's Angels because uh, the Mickey Mouse Club did a cover of Gloria Stefan's, you know, Get On Your Feet. <laughs> I remember one time literally going and grabbing my mom and being like, Mom, they're singing on the Disney Channel. Is this music okay? And I remember she was just like, uh... Yeah, yeah, it's on the Disney Channel. It's probably fine. The band that that weird guy in the video flipped out over was the Rolling Stones. Uh, At the time, I didn't know there was a distinction between evil old Mick Jagger and a teenage Britney Spears covering New Kids on the Block on the Disney Channel. All right, next chapter, Home Alone. When I was a little kid, I really did look like Macaulay Culkin, uh, pretty much like any kid that was blonde and white at the time. You looked a lot like Macaulay Culkin and got compared to him. But my adventure when I would get left home alone was not exciting and fun like Kevin's was. I remember one time I got really freaked out. I thought someone was in the house. So I pulled a butcher knife out of the block and uh, I like, you know, was ready. But as I'm walking back to finish watching, you know, Three's Company or whatever, I like flicked the tip of the butcher knife accidentally against my wrist And it like just, you know, took like a barely a little tiny chunk out of it. But all I knew was, oh, crap, people die by slitting their wrists. I'm so going to die. I, you know, like was holding the little like nick out of my skin thinking, oh, crap, this is it. I remember getting a phone book. I I don't know why, because you just need to call 911. But uh, 
apparently I needed to look up a number for a doctor's office or maybe I was trying to call my mom and say, hey, I cut my wrist. But anyway, mom finally came home, came home and I showed her what I did and she was like, yeah, next time get a rolling pen. If you think someone's outside, don't uh, don't get anything sharp. I also wouldn't answer the phone when I was home alone, which I mean, that was that was common practice. You were told, yeah, don't answer the phone. But I was worried that somehow the people on the other end of the line could hear what I was doing in the house. I mean, the phone's like ringing. It's hanged up. But, you know, I was like, oh, they can still probably hear me. So I would mute the TV and wait for the the ringing of the phone to stop. I think that probably is indicative of paranoia. All right, next chapter. I think it's called Tourette's. I used to believe that I could hurt people with my mind. Like literally, I could see someone who looked like sick or ill or weak And I would, like, think of something bad happening to them. And I didn't want to. Like, it wasn't, like, yeah, a violent fantasy. No, I would see, you know, a really old person walking on the sidewalk and imagine, like, a car hitting them or something and then worry that that was going to happen because I thought that and it would all be my fault. (laughs) As a kid, you know, with this, this great responsibility instilled upon me, you know, it was terrifying. Like I felt worried and nervous and guilty because you don't want to think those thoughts, but you couldn't help it. They were, I guess now you would call it a compulsive thought. I've never actually talked to anyone in healthcare about it. Now, the irony is if I could like bring misfortune onto people using just my mind, I would be so excited. I'd be like, if, if someone who gets on my nerves is walking towards me, they would trip. <laughs> you know, It would be an awesome superpower to have. I don't know. If I really did have that power as a child, I I really regret renouncing it because it would be fun to have some days. Final chapter, Passing the Torch. So my son is older now, but when he was little, he was obsessed with trains and he was obsessed with the Polar Express. And so we thought it'd be a nice thing if I took him down to Golden, Colorado, where they have this railroad museum. And they have a gimmick where they put you on a train and reenact parts of the Polar Express. And I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, well, this is a positive thing we can do together. So it was just him and I. We get onto this old, like, 1950s dining car they have set up there, and that was pretty cool. And they bring out some cookies, and we're like, oh, this is pretty good. You know, and he seems happy. I'm happy. The next thing that happened after we're halfway done with the cookie is hot cocoa time. And if you've ever seen the Polar Express movie, like, they have hot chocolate, and these, like, waiters or whatever come out and start dancing around. And I was like, no, 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 we're going to be fine. This won't, no, no. A bunch of weird people, like community theater types, storm the train. They don't have guns and bandanas like that guy at Knott's Berry Farm, but they are just as scary because they're, they're singing and dancing. Have you ever had anyone sing to you? It is awkward and wrong and should never be happening. But this guy, he's like right up on me and my little boy, like hot, 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 I think is what he was saying. And he was like making blades out of his hands and like going back and forth and dancing around. He was a bad dancer too, but the point is he was like right by us and he was singing and dancing. I was like, oh gosh, go back to your low budget production of Little Orphan Annie and leave my family alone. And I looked down at my boy and he was petrified. All of my childhood paranoid sadness and fears of rides and theatrics and train robberies were made manifest in his little blue eyes. All the other people are clapping and singing and they're having fun, but me and my little boy, we were cowering in the corner and I was ready to punch this guy if he got any closer with his song and dance routine. Looking into the terrified eyes of my son, I was like, that's my boy. That's my progeny. He's terrified. And so now, you know, I worry about him and what he has to deal with. So 
I guess my anxieties are still there. They've just changed in their forms a little as they've mutated and gone on in the life of my son. All right, anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please contact me if you have any feedback, and also uh, please share this with somebody. I I hope this podcast, I've tried a few different ones. I'm hoping this one will will go somewhere. Being a parent is hard. We're going to get through this. Hang in there.